fifth anniversary of the first time Logan and I ever did a show together. My longtime brother, Logan. Logan, what's up? Hey, what's up, man? Today, we have a special, special episode today. We are looking at the Love Deluxe 1992 classic album by Sade, her deepest album up until that point of her career. And the very first song, No Ordinary Love, that you heard, one of the greatest songs ever played in a movie. Indecent Proposal came out in 1993, and it was a huge hit starring Demi Moore, Robert Redford, and Woody Harrelson. The movie was a ridiculous concept, but it sold. About a, a billionaire who offers a man a million dollars to sleep with his his wife. You know, Logan, when that movie came out, my father, my mother, and I, we laughed at the fucking concept. I was like, how the fuck are they selling a movie about a dude wanting to sleep with somebody's wife for a million fucking dollars? But we were wrong. That shit exploded. It was a huge hit. Yeah. I, I, it just goes to show you, you could sell America anything. <laughs> well, you had some good actors. Oh, you, you had... A legend in Robert Redford, Woody Harrelson, who, um, coming off of Cheers, had already established himself as a big-time uh, Hollywood star. Because remember, the year before, in 1992, he starred in White Man Can't Jump, which was a massive hit. And Demi Moore, at this point in time, Logan, would you say she was among the top two or three actresses in America? Not talent-wise, but box office-wise? I don't know. I, th I think it was after this, but I think this was the beginning of her run. Yeah. I don't. I, let me. I'm trying to think. Was it the beginning of her run? Um, no, because Ghost was in 1990. Uh, okay, so that was the beginning of her run. Yeah, um, that was the beginning of before Ghost. You're right. Yeah. Well, she had. She started out with St. Elmo's Fire. Right. Right. But her career stagnated for a while. She married Bruce Willis. It's funny. She was engaged to Emilio Estevez, and then one one morning, I woke up and read the newspaper that she left him and married Bruce Willis overnight. <laughs> wow! I was like, "Yeah, I was that was crazy." And my mother's like, "I don't understand. I, I, I don't understand this woman." My mother's like, "Is she a whore? <laughs> Is she a whore?" <laughs> and. And my mother never liked me more after that because she was like, "How are you engaged to one man and then overnight marry another man?" I was, I was like, "I don't know, maybe." It's a white I, she made thing. the right choice. She made the right choice because uh, Emilio he never recovered from that loss. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's been a B actor ever since. <laughs> oh, he, he was born a B actor, dude. But yeah, actually. Maybe before that he was on his way to be. No, an I mean, he was he was on his way. He was on his. Remember what he was in the Outsiders, right? He he had a few hits. It's true. And then um, he lost his woman, and then his brother became a bigger star, Charlie, than him. And the rest of well, what was the biggest thing he ever did? The Mighty Ducks, a fucking uh, a, a kitty movie. <laughs> the biggest thing he's done since. <laughs> yeah, and I re remember liking him. I thinking he was he was good, but I guess he. Did he have a substance problem? That's partying? what my mother thought. That's what my mother thought. My mother thought that he was partying too much, and that's why she left him for Bruce. I don't mm. think that was the case. I thought she, you know, Bruce had his eye on her, and she was like, you know what? He's in Moonlighting. 
I think he's going to be a bigger star. Bye bye, Emilio. <laughs> but but that was a prediction on her part because he was just a TV star at that point. He wasn't a movie star. Yeah, Emilio right? was a movie star. Mo- Emilio was a movie star. Uh, Bruce was a TV star. But uh, so Die Hard, he was right. Did Die I Hard come out I, yet? Die Hard didn't come out till '88. Yeah. And then she left Bruce for uh, Ashton Kutcher. Yeah. Uh, a few years. <laughs> you know what used to be funny is that Demi Moore was with Ashton Kutcher and Bruce would come along. Right, on, on trips. On trips. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? What the that's fuck a, is this? <laughs> that's some, maybe, you know, that's, that's another white people thing, dude. You'd never see It is a white like people that. thing. Because black people don't do that shit. Hell fuck no it. You don't, yo, Logan, you don't do that shit. You're married. You're going to allow... Well, the, well, there is no there's no kids involved. But let's say, for shits and giggles, your wife had a couple of kids from her previous dude before you, right? Are you going to sit there and allow her to invite that motherfucker on a family vacation? No, man. I'm, I'm Italian. <laughs> Y'all don't go for that shit. No. Hell no. no fucking. I'm like, what the fuck is this? But anyway, yeah, Bruce, and I thought Bruce was the ultimate macho man. I wouldn't have went. Fuck that. I'd have been like, all right. This, if I was Bruce, this is me. All right, Demi. After you and Ashton take my daughters and my children out on this trip, when y'all come back, me and my lady are going to take them on the trip. I'm not going on no fucking trip. Now, this is a perfect segue to a personal song. To a personal story involving this song with with family. Now, I know that I have been very hard on my beloved son's mother after her drug addiction and she started stealing the whole nine. But when this movie came out, this is going to be a, a, a nice story about her. I don't know if you're going to consider it nice, but I'm going to. This is going to be a positive story. When this movie came out, she was like, "Oh, I love, I love Demi Moore." She was a huge Demi Moore fan. Let's go see that movie. I didn't want to see that movie because my mother and my father and I, we had trashed it. But I was like, all right, it's an excuse to go out because at the time my son was a baby. And I had I had um, asked my parents to watch, watch him while we went to the movies. We went to the movies. And once again, this is going to be a story about that infamous Times Square movie theater. We went to see it because back then you'd see two or three movies. For the price of one, for five dollars, you see two or three movies. Even back in 1993, this was the dying days of that movie theater before Giuliani became mayor and got rid of that theater, and the entire Times Square became um, Disney instead of no longer Smut. So we go see the movie, and during the movie, she's like, "Oh, Demi Moore is so hot." I was like, looking at her like, uh, and, and then she starts, you know. Rub it on my thigh. You know, I said, we can't. Look, look, let's watch the movie. And I've had sex in that theater twice before in high school. Told her about that, and I think that had turned her on. She's like, let me do something. She unzipped my pants, and she was playing. My shit got rock hard, and thank God it was dark, and we was towards the back. She sucked my dick while we were watching the movie. And I was like, oh, my God. That, that was, and, and you were like, I will make this woman my wife. No, we never got married. Fuck out of here. Well, you, you had no kids with her. 
Yeah, she, the baby was already born. <laughs> we were already living together. Anyway, so after she swallowed, and this was like a half hour into the theater, I fell the fuck asleep and didn't wake up until the next movie was on. All right? So I saw the first 30 minutes of Indecent Proposal. I think the dinner scene where he meets them and Robert Redford makes the uh, the proposal. Got my dick sucked. Fell asleep. Woke up doing the next movie. And I forgot the name of the fucking next movie. And I was, and she was like, God damn it, you missed the whole movie. Let, let's stay and watch it again. I said, fuck no, we ain't staying to watch this shit again. Let's get the fuck out of here. Let's go pick up our son. Uh, you know what? No, but you didn't, see, you didn't see the movie. I said, you saw it, right? That's all that matters. Go ahead, big man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, that That probably would have been a better, like, plot hole in the movie where, like, essentially she just, she falls asleep that night and dreams the whole movie. And at the end, it's just her dream instead of being real because it was so outlandish. <laughs> were, it was a ridiculous concept, yet the movie made millions. And you're right, white people lo- ate that shit up. Get the fuck out of here. That shit is ridiculous. It's Ain't like, no what would man- you do? Look, according to according to my uh, 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 my son's mother, because on the subway ride home, she explained to me how he offered Woody the money. I fell asleep. And then during, during the movie, they argued about it. They stopped talking to each other. She went. He paid Woody a million dollars, and then she started dating Robert Redford's character. I'm like, what? what? I'm glad I fell asleep during this shit. What? So explain this to me, Logan. It sounded like he didn't have to pay the million dollars. He could have just romanced her without having to give up the million dollars. And then she tells him, but at the end, they get back together. I mean, get the fuck out of here. If, 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 this, if, 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 if this woman, if I... That shit would that shit would never happen because ain't nobody offering you a million dollars for for your fucking woman. I don't care how beautiful right. she is, because a that, billionaire could get the thing. woman without giving you a million dollars. Right, <laughs> that's the first ridiculous shit of the movie. It's like, and first of well, all, first of all, even though Robert Redford is about twenty years older than Woody Harrelson in real life, even in nineteen ninety three, if you were a woman, who are you getting with? Broke ass Woody Harrelson or billionaire <laughs> Robert Redford? <laughs> Right, but the the whole thing of it is though that she, the whole goal that he had in that movie was he was paying a million dollars not to get her for one night, but basically he was using that million dollars to com- to have a night to convince her to leave Woody Harrelson for him. So that but was she did. Of- now, according to according to old girl. She did. She was with the dude. They had. A, they were having a romance, right? Right. So that's what I'm saying. So I could see Elon Musk doing something like that, you know, because they're. Just... I can see. I bet you Trump has done this several times with all his wives. He stole all of them with the fucking. He probably paid her a check. Fuck the dude. Fuck you gonna want to? Yeah. If, if if you got all this going for you, why are you offering a dude a million dollars to be with his wife? You doing the honor? I guess he was being honorable. Get the fuck out of here. You. <laughs> There ain't no out of there. You sleeping with the woman. Basically, this well, is no. a million dollar the whole prostitute. Point, the whole point was to be like, look, your your husband gave you away for a million dollars. I would never have done that. You know, that was the whole. Oh, I see. Like, you know, I see. He was using well, he it against He didn't have to him. go through all that. He didn't have to go through all that shit. Look at the Robert Redford, one of the best looking men in the history of America. Well, America. Right? He's her, a billionaire in this fuck. And hey, look at Woody Harrelson. Look 
at the way he looks. <laughs> I know. He could he could have probably just tried to pick up on her and been like, by the way, you know I'm a millionaire, billionaire. Uh, and then she would have yeah. just left anyway. <laughs> she she would have left anyway. And then she got back with the dude at the end. So she leaves this billionaire to go back with her. Because she, uh, uh, my son's mother was explaining to me, oh, but she, that, that, that was beautiful because she proved, by her being with the billionaire with Robert Redford, it proved to her how much she loved Woody because she started missing Woody. I said, man, get that that bullshit. What the the hell? I would not have taken her back. (laughs) Me neither. Fuck, she's savage goods. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, just give me the money and fuck, fuck off. You with that million dollars, you could have got yourself a lawyer woman, right? Now get the up, uh, man. I don't even know why we're talking about this. It, it's, it's hilarious, uh, insane concept. It's hilarious. Okay, <laughs> now the rest of the podcast will be very serious, starting with the yeah. next song because Sade sings about some very serious topics on this album. This album is full of love. It's full of politics. It's full of despair. You'll hear it all. It's full of heartbreak throughout this entire album. The next album, Logan's going to play Feel No Pain, and then we will talk about the pain that Sade is singing about in the song. Okay.
feel the pain in the lyrics of this song. This song was released in 1992 on the Love Deluxe album. And 1992, if people are old enough to remember, Logan was about 12, 11, 12 years old at the time. The United States was, like to, like 30 years later, today, in a very deep recession. Um, unemployment was up. Inflation was sky high, just like it is today. And George Bush, who had an insurmountable lead as the favorite to regain the presidency in November, would lose the presidency to Bill Clinton because of this recession, because of the inflation that occurred in 1992. This is Sade singing about unemployment in the United States. Very political song. Mama been laid off. Papa been laid off. My brother's been laid off. And the song talks about the pain of a family going through poverty, a family going through unemployment, a family unable to pay the bills, and the mental angst, the mental strife, the mental strain that such a situation brings that family. We're talking about a grown two two parents and a grown son, and they can't put it together. They can't find work. Your thoughts on this song, big man? Yeah, it was another. Um, it was an. It was incredible. It was just. It was. It was a. A commentary on the time, but at the same time, very mm-hmm. beautiful. And and yeah, I guess this is a more sad one of the sad songs you're talking about. Yeah, there's a there's a few on this album. We'll be talking about it. you got feel no pain, you've got like a tattoo, and you got bulletproof soul. All very sad songs. And then you have the up, you have the uplifting ro- uh, romantic songs. We played one earlier, No Ordinary Love, uh, Couldn't Love You More. Later on, we'll be playing Kiss of Life and Cherish the Day. Some of the greatest ballads Sade ever created, ever sang. But on this album, she's got three songs that tugs at your heart. This was this is the first of the three we'll be talking about, Feel the Pain. I remember as a kid growing up, Whenever both my parents weren't working, my mother had to go on welfare, and man, it would. And my father couldn't find work because he was going through alcohol issues, and it it would be a huge strain not only on the four kids, me and my three siblings, but people don't realize the amount of mental strain it has on the parents. Because it's the parents' job to provide for young children, to provide for their children. And if they're unable to get a job that's able to pay the rent, put food on the table, put food, put clothes on your back, on their children's back, it nags at you. I am lucky that in the 21, my son left home when he was 21. So I took care of my son financially until he was 21. In the 21 years that my son lived with me, I worked 19 of those years. The two Only twice was I unemployed for about a year. I was lucky that I got unemployment assistance during that time, and I was lucky that once the unemployment ended, 
that I was able to get a job right away, but I was I I, I couldn't afford not to because uh, the first time I was going to school and I needed and needed not only to support him but to pay for my college tuition. Second time, my my uh, it was two thousand and second time was two thousand and five two thousand four two thousand four. And after my unemployment ran out early 2005, I, I got a job right away within a week because not only did I take care of my son, who was 12, but my mother had been living with me since my father died five years prior. So I had to I had to make sure that I'm able to private because at that point in time, my mother was 57. She She wasn't getting Social Security benefits yet, so it wasn't like I could – Try and and then so what they what the United States government pays senior citizens is fucking criminal. It's worse than fucking welfare for some for some people. I don't understand it. How people live their entire lives working in this country and then they don't get enough money per month to pay their rent. Never mind food and all types of other. It, it's unreal. It's, it's starvation ridiculous. wages. Uh, it, but the thing is, you work all your life in this country to help make millions for the billion-dollar corporations that run the industries that we work in, and then you get paid a pittance. And uh, thank God I take care of my mother because I see her money that she gets every month because yeah, I handle it for her. It's, man, if she was on her own, she'd be living in the street. For real. It's ridiculous. It's It's, it's horrendous. Horrendous. So this song hits home. And man, and this is a woman living in England at the time talking about the problems in the United States and hitting it home better than. Because um, in 1992, a lot of American singers weren't touching, weren't even approaching this, weren't even broaching this subject on their music. Sade from right. another country talked about it because one thing about Sade, we talked about this in the first two episodes we did on her career. Very observant. Very observant. Now, she didn't go through poverty growing up. Her father was a professor. Her mother was a nurse. They were always working. And she was sent to the best schools. She was sent to private schools throughout her youth and into high school, even went to modeling school the whole nine. But she had friends. And she observed with her own eyes the pain that other people were going through. And she wrote about it so well in this music. And once again, one of the great singer-songwriters of all time. I know that her bandmates, Andrew and Stuart, get, uh, what you call it, a songwriting credits. But I think, like you said earlier on previous podcasts, it's because they're writing probably the instrumentals, the music, right? But the lyrics, it's all Sade. Cause these guys aren't going through the shit that 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 she's observed. They're not. They're, they're looking at a different lens. She's looking at through a lens of a biracial woman who sees both parts: the white world and the black world. And in America, 1992, Logan, both worlds—the black world and the white world—were getting shaken to the ground by the recession that were that was occurring, and. Bush had going going into 1992. He had become real popular because of that bogus first Gulf War 
in which he invaded Iraq, but only so Kuwait could be freed so they can get their hands on Kuwaiti's oil. It had nothing to do with freeing Kuwait. He didn't give a fuck. And for anybody that wants to see a real-life uh, example, the movie Three Kings that you and I reviewed several years ago just showed showed exactly why that war was fought. Uh, the movie with George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, and Ice Cube. Great movie. I highly recommend it. It was all about it was all about oil and gold. It had nothing to do with no fucking um freeing Kuwaitis. It that yeah, we we're freeing the Kuwaitis because we have an ulterior an ulterior motive. So that was what was going on in nineteen ninety two. The next song we'll be talking about is I Couldn't Love You More. Logan to play that and then we'll talk about it on the other side.
Couldn't Love You More is one of the best songs Shadi ever sang when it came to unconditional, when it comes to unconditional love. Uh, she and this album, Love Deluxe, that we're talking about today here on Sade Part 3, is full of us uh, of love songs and political songs. And this one right here, she is singing her ass off. Couldn't love you more if time was... This is basically unconditional love, Logan. Take me by the hand, come on, be my darling, be the one. I wouldn't want to lay or ever love with another if everyone in the world could give me what I wanted. This is sort of like the uh, the opposite of the movie we were talking about earlier <laughs> in Decent Proposal, right? <laughs> it's the Demi Moore character. It's the reason why No Ordinary Love was picked over uh, Couldn't Love You More. Because the Demi Moore character was loving Woody the way Sade was singing in this song, no amount of money Robert Redford had would have taken her away from Woody into Robert Redford's arms. But this is a beautiful uh, uh, a beautiful ballad. Because, yeah, darling, I'm on your side. I really am on your side. My love, I'm on your side. All right now, baby. And the way she sings when she lifts her voice up, and once again, her background, her her her, uh, her band, Sweetback. I don't know too many bands that flowed with their with their instrumentals with the singer's voice, with the lead singer's voice in Sade. It's like they were married together, Sade on top of Sweetback's music. The only other person that worked this well with Sweetback was Maxwell. And one day we will do a, a, pot, a, a tribute on Maxwell's first album in which Sweetback did with the entire band, did all the instrumentals. Sade's voice. And remember, we talked about this earlier, Logan, on parts one and parts two. She didn't have any formal music training. She had no formal singing training. She was a model. Someone discovered that she could sing. She met with Stuart and the rest of the cats from um, Sweetback. They formed Sade. And the next thing you knew, she was out there singing without any real, that's called real talent there. She didn't grow up singing in the church. She was born in Nigeria. Um, her mother was a nurse. Her father was a, a, a teacher, an educator. She, uh, she was a model throughout high school. She went to high school for modeling. She was going to go to the university for modeling. I think she did go to the university for a few years as a model, and she was getting modeling gigs. And by the way she looked, you could tell she was probably making a very good living at modeling because she's a natural, exotic beauty. Um, Logan, in the history of models, how many models have looked better than her? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, she was – that's the thing. She's deep, too, so – that yeah. creates more if, beauty. Imagine if she would have come to America just as a model, the amount of money she would have made just as a model. She would have been on that Naomi Campbell level of making millions as a model for whatever she wanted to model. But she chose a different path, and thank God, because now she, she had the looks to go with that voice. You and I are shocked that she never – went into motion pictures, she if she could have acted a little bit, 
If she could have had Demi Moore acting ability, which is not that hard to have, <laughs> she would have made millions as an actress. But she decided to to do the music thing. She was discovered. They found out she had a nice voice. And the rest is history. And for someone without formal training as a singer, that instrument of hers, her voice, her vocal instrument, such prowess, and it goes perfectly with this band. I don't think Logan, and I have, I'll, and um, I'll ask for your thoughts on this. I don't think had she been with another group, another set of musicians and producers, that she would have been asked successful. I think she met the right guys, and everything blended, and they made perfect music together. What do you think? Yeah, it was just. It was, uh, you know, I think it was something almost divine coming together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and a young woman in her, she, I think she was 21, 22 when she met Stuart and the rest of the uh, uh, group. And I think their first name was Pride. Then they became just known as Sade. And then when Sade, after Love Deluxe, after this album, Sade met a Jamaican brother, left her husband for that Jamaican brother. And they went and had a kid. Sade took time off to raise that that little girl. And that's when they were no longer known as Sade. They they used the name Sweetback. And then they helped uh, Maxwell with his first couple albums. And then when Sade made her return in the late 90s with their album that came out in 2000, which will be part four we'll talk about, they it was... They, it was Sade, but I, if you look at the linear notes, it says music by Sweetback. So no longer were they going as Sade. Now it was Sade, the, the singer, and Sweetback, the band. At this point in time, her first four albums, they were all known as Sade. Sade wasn't just a singer. It was Sade, Stewart, and the rest of the crew. They were all as Sade. They were a band. Basically, they were a band. And Band or not, it's amazing. I still don't understand it. This woman has sold over 100 million records worldwide, six platinum albums. All albums are certified classics, and she's still not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't understand it. I don't fucking understand it. But I've I've been on a rant with that over and over again. Um, Your thoughts on this song real quick before we go on to the next one. Yeah, I mean, this song... I mean, this was one of the songs that I actually would like skip over a lot just because it wasn't one of her main songs. But listening to it now, I'm just like, wow, this thing is so atmospheric. I remember every time I would have the song on, I would I would start to get a little bit sad, and I mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd fall into the song. It had such an atmospheric quality to it, so mm-hmm. it, it kind of depressed me. I remember back in the day, um, but it's so beautiful and it, and it creates an atmosphere like all her songs do. That's there's never been a, a singer since or after her that could do that like that. It's funny you say that because of her six albums, maybe out of total. And we're talking six albums over 60 songs, 60 to 70 songs. I haven't added it up, but maybe five are throwaways in six albums. Who does right. that? Who who has that type of quality? Not even the legends like Mary J. Blige, Luther Vandross, Mariah Carey can say that in their entire disc- disc- 
have less than ten songs than a throwaways. Because you know, you know, from be, being a musician, uh, Logan, and following music since you were a little boy, and the albums and CDs and cassettes that you own, you go through a lot of albums from great artists. Never mind run of the mill artists, but from great uh, artists, and you skip songs. You hear the first couple of minutes, like I ain't listening to this shit. Next, <laughs> with Sade, yeah. you, you Sade. Sade, you don't do that with Sade. Sade, any of her albums you could play straight through, relax, and it's relaxing music. It's go to sleep music. It's wake up in the morning and put the song on more. It's love making music. That music foremost. Is, yeah, yeah. Love making music. Uh, and, and sometimes getting your sticks up to music. But then, <laughs> and I will be talking later on about a song that led to. Uh, me making love to an ex-girlfriend of mine. But this, her music, you can't... You it, Any of her albums. And there's rumors, Logan, that she's working on the seventh album. But I keep hearing... I've been hearing this rumor since pre-pandemic, right? We need a new Sade album because there's a lot of out, there's a lot of artists out there. Logan just mentioned it. When they come out, and we're talking about just singers. I'm not talking about MCs. Singers. They come out with an album, and it's filler. Madonna's a legend. We'll be doing a show on Madonna, you and I, eventually. She's had a lot of albums, Logan. You've had you 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 own the albums. Where you like, I'm not listening to this shit because she'll do some <laughs> experimental shit that get the fuck out of here. I ain't right. Next, next with Sade, even when she experiments, she doesn't go past changing her sound. She's still singing in that exquisite voice of hers. She's got the she's got the 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 band with the great saxophone and the great oh the piano playing the whole nine she's got Leroy as a great backup singer it's unreal and six six albums maybe five songs that you're like ah, I'm not listening to this shit nah next next this album every song you can listen to but this album like Logan mentioned you do have some very depressing songs and. We'll be talking about some as we go on. We'll talk about Like a Tattoo on the other side. For life 
Like a Tattoo is one of the few songs in the history of music in which a legendary artist talks about the pain endured by a war veteran, PTSD. In my uh, memory, I can only recall one other. That's Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA, in which he talks about a Vietnam vet, in which uh, Ronald Reagan thought was a a patriotic song? No, it was an anti-war song, you fucking buffoon. Anyway, um, Like a Tattoo is a song about a Vietnam War veteran talking about the pain he's endured, that he endured during Vietnam, and what he's endured since Vietnam. Sade had an interview talking about that song, and I'm going to read, I'm going to read what she said in the let me let me get that. I I got the interview right in front of me. Let me get get it off the uh, the page. Let me see. Here we go. What happened to my interview? Oh, I think I think it's here. All right, here we go. Sade was interviewed in March of 1993 about. Like a Tattoo, and this is what Sade said. Like a Tattoo was a song I wanted to write for a long time. I was in an Irish pub in New York years ago, and this man came and sat next to me and started telling me things about himself that I didn't particularly want to know. He had been in Vietnam. 
it's my translation of what he was saying to me. Oh my god, fucking! I'm sorry, man. Fucking yeah, your, your phone rang the same time as mine. <laughs> I thought I'm silent. Fucking shit. Anyway, oh, well, I hung up right, at the same just, time as you. Just go back into go that last sentence. Okay. Okay. Now I'll just go back and say what Sade was saying. I'll just go back from there. Okay. Sade, in an interview with the San Diego Union uh, Tribune, March of 1993, talks about Like a Tattoo. She said in the interview, Like a Tattoo was a song I wanted to write for a long time. I was in an Irish bar in New York years ago, and this man came and sat next to me and started telling me things about himself that I didn't particularly want to know. He had been in Vietnam. It's my translation of what he was saying to me. And if you look at the lyrics, it's it's heartbreaking what this man has gone through. Because she, she's talking, at the very beginning, she's, this is her perspective. He told me sweet lies of sweet love, heavy with the burden of the truth. And he spoke of his dreams, broken by the burden, broken by the burden of his youth. This is her describing her meeting with uh, the gentleman she just talked about in the interview, and then she, and then he, and then he goes. Fourteen years, he said, to the sun. She saw him laying at the end of my gun, hungry for life and thirsty for the distant river. This is my recollection of um, this is my um, not recollection. This is my um, recounting of these lyrics. What I think she meant. When he when she when he she sang she saw him laying at the end of my gun. In Viet while he was in Vietnam, the young girl or maybe even a, 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 a an older woman was lying at the end of her of his gun and he had to kill her because she was Vietnamese or she was part of the Viet Cong, and it's a memory that has haunted him ever since. He goes I re-, and then the the rest of the song. I remember his hands and the way the mountains looked. That's her talking about him. The light shot diamonds from his eyes. Hungry for life and thirsty for the distant river. The river in which he murdered that Vietnamese woman. And then the song finishes. Like the scar of age written all over my face. The war is still raging inside of me. I still feel the chill as I reveal my shame to you. He was telling her in that Irish pub about the crimes he committed against the North Vietnamese people like that woman and how it has contributed to his PTSD and how it's probably mentally fucked him up for the rest of his life. Logan, did you have friends that, that entered? Cause you would have been, you would have been of age. Did, did you have friends to the Gulf war after nine 11? Yeah. All right. Did how were they when they came back? Uh, I mean, it some came back fine, but um right. I had this one guy who came back and he just he was never the same. And he he never like left his parents' house, you know, like he never like could venture out into the world again. He was just like almost catatonic. I think he took some I think he got some like um chemical you know problem I don't know what happened to him yeah. but or maybe it was just PTSD yeah 
but it wasn't. It might, have, it might it was have been a combination of both. I had a friend who oh, was a co- co-worker of mine, and he was a few years younger than me. I was 33 when 9-11 happened. This this young man was 25, 26. Um, Israel was his name. And the minute the bombings happened, he was like, Rob, fuck that. I'm going to go get revenge. This is fucked up. And I'm trying to explain. I was trying to explain to him how you shouldn't take what the media has portrayed on television. You know, you and I, we always look deep into the matter. We don't take the media and the American government's word for everything, right? Because they lie more oh, than yeah. half the time. So I try to they always he lie. wasn't hearing it. He was he he wasn't hearing it. He was like, No, fuck that. Fuck them. Fuck them Arabs. I'm going I said, well, hold on, hold on. Back up. Back up. You what you that's how they want you to act. So he didn't hear he enlisted right away. Came back four years later, two thousand five. I lost contact with him around 2012, 2013. But for the time I I was in contact with him from 2005 to 2012, he started using heroin in Afghanistan. And people know that Afghanistan is the leading leading supplier of heroin in the world, right? And... He served in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he got fucked up mentally. He became a drug addict. When he came, when he left, he had a wife and two kids. When he came back, they didn't last a year before his wife took his kids and left him. At one point in time, he was homeless. Last time I spoke to him, he was going through drug rehab, and the VA had gotten them help with housing and, and employment. And that was 2013, I believe. So that was about nine years ago. But for many years, at least six, seven years, he was living hell from what he witnessed and experienced in the Middle East during the Gulf War. PTSD is no joke, like your friend went through, like the gentleman that Sade is singing about has gone through. My understanding, Logan, is that the VA is severely underfunded. Why? The Republicans, especially white wingers, always claim you got to support the military. You can't go. It's us. It's it, if you're either you're either with us or against us. You you can't be anti-military. All right. So that's your stance. But why aren't you putting the money into VA hospitals? into VA education, into VA uh, job programs. It's severely underfunded. Ask any veteran you know, they'll tell you the services at the Veterans Administration is pitiful, is minimal. They don't have enough financial assistance for the thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of men and women that have served this country. It's criminal. Like a tattoo, once again, in I don't know. Oh, she was an Irish pup, so it was an American soldier telling her this story. Once again, she's writing about an American plight and American problem. Your thoughts about this song, and add your thoughts on anything I said about the VA and and PTSD. I I just thought just the the regret the the fact that 
you know, you have to live with something that you did and it's, that's like you were saying, the PTSD from having committed atrocities at the command of, you know, your, your general or whatever. It's just, the guilt is just, that's, that's the main part of it. So yeah, this, this song really captures it. One of, one of the things Israel felt guilty about was that he didn't listen to me and, and all of his other friends because we all tell him the same thing, that he went and fought a war that was unjust. He, he learned that while he was in Afghanistan and Iraq, and he was killing for no reason. And he developed that heroin addict. He became a heroin addict. He developed that heroin problem to try and self-medicate. And it destroyed his life. And I'm hoping, I haven't spoken to Israel in nine years. I'm hoping that he's gotten his life together because he was on track the last time I spoke to him. But that's just one guy. Imagine all the soldiers that served during the Gulf War that have had to adjust to life, knowing that they fought an unjust war, knowing that they killed innocent people because of lies told by George W., Colin Powell. And Condoleezza Rice. I know uh, both Bush and... um, Well, no, that's the senior Bush. I know uh, um, uh, General Powell recently passed away. I don't know if he slept well at night for the lies he told. And every time I see George W. Bush, he's always fucking smiling. I don't know what the fuck he's smiling about because he's one of the biggest war criminals in the history of fucking the world. The fuck is he smiling about? It's amazing, man. Like, the last two Republican presidents, like, disasters. Like, just in terms of, I mean, we had 9-11, George W. Bush, and then we have the pandemic under this motherfucker. I mean, it's just like, these guys just don't know what they're doing. Like they just and the fucking funny thing about, and, and what and, and what they did was they go and blame other people for those problems, right? And they never oh, yeah. took they 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 never took account of the atrocities they committed. Yeah. Fucking George Bush sent thousands of our men and women to two countries to fight a phantom fucking war, which he and the the attack itself it was just pure. Just carelessness that they missed it because there were like all kinds of signs that it was coming and they were just asleep at the wheel. And the same thing with the pandemic and Trump. Like he just didn't give a shit, just kept denying it, denying it, denying it. And then finally it just fucking killed us. So. And it's just sad because tens of thousands of American lives were ruined. And then. Think of all the thousands of lives in the Middle East that were killed, the innocent people that were killed out there. Oh, in, in Iraq alone, with, it was over oh a million people after like 10 years. It was a million. They and, they st- and they still didn't, quote unquote, win this war. Because when they left, the same people that they claimed were our Terrorists. enemies yeah. took over. Yep, in both places. In both places, what the fuck was accomplished? Well, what was accomplished was, at least in Iraq, was that guess who's 
getting the oil now, American companies. So that was it. And and Halliburton, Dick Cheney's uh, company and a company that the Bushes had stock in, profited with billions of dollars in defense. Yeah. In, 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 <sighs> in rebuilding, in bullshit rebuilding that would just get blown up again. They yeah. they also had the they also had the food servicing contract for the for the for the military. Yeah, they, and they would charge. <laughs> no, and they would charge like a hundred dollars for a head of lettuce. I mean, yeah. it was real criminal, real criminal that shit. I mean, and, and George Bush. I mean, those. I mean, uh, Jake Taney. That motherfucker's always smiling. He's always fucking smiling. Every time I see him on TV, he's up there smiling. You're a fucking war criminal. The fuck is your problem? Oh, well, they got him pumped full of drugs, man, I'm sure. <laughs> He's probably got his own PTSD. Because, <laughs> I mean, think about all the torture that he signed off on. I mean, he's yep. a, he's going to go to hell, man. They're going to put a big hot poker in his ass in hell, dude, because he deserves it. Un-fucking-believable. And General Powell, who I used to hold in the highest, highest regard. Oh, he sold his soul. Sold his fucking soul to the devil. Yep. You should have said something, and you know I know you're dead and wherever you're at right now. And but all the accomplishments he did as the first legendary African American black five star general, the whole nine, everything he accomplished. There's a huge stain. All of that gets wiped out by the bullshit lie he helped. He lent tell his the American people about. He lent his credibility to it. That was the thing. Because people are like, oh, well, it's him. Because like, he was much lie. more credible than Bush. You're right. right. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. He, if like, he's saying he it, then it must be true. It. Right. Yeah. No, I know a lot of people and, that didn't believe it until he said it. Me too. And the thing is, I know why he did it. When you're a soldier, you follow orders. And even though he's a five-star general, he reports to the president. That's the only guy above him, right? So he reports to the president. Right, he's the Secretary of Defense. Only the President. He only reports to the President, right? right. <sighs> so he's following orders, which he's been taught his entire life in the military. And they have to hold to a lie. If it's a lie, it's a lie. But God damn it, he should have just stepped up and said, "I resign because this motherfucker lied." What's going to happen to him? You know what's going to happen to him? Yeah, he would. He would have been the President of the United States instead of Clinton in 1992. He could have turned shit around, but no. But none, I'm being I'm being gullible. They would have murdered his ass. Probably. All right, let's 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 talk about love. <laughs> let's talk about love. One of my all time favorite Sade songs. It's top two or three. Kiss of life. And after this we'll we'll talk. We'll talk love instead of poverty and war. For the for a minute there, because we'll be talking more poverty later on. But kiss of life and then we'll talk about it. There must have been an angel by my side Look at the sky, it 
Life is one of the greatest songs Shade ever wrote song. Um, a beautiful celebration of one's unconditional love for another, for their wife, for their husband, for their boyfriend, for their girlfriend, for their lover. Amazing song. And the way she sings this song. She just, when she starts it off, there must have been an angel by my side. Something, he- something heavenly led me to you. Look at the sky. It's the color of love. This 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 song is like she's making love singing this song. 
When I was led to you, you were the one. Oh, this is just beautiful. Oh, my God. My lady, this is her favorite Sade song of all time. And this is my lady. Like I said, favorite Sade song of all time. And quiet as it kept, this is the first song we made love to. The first time we made love. We were playing Kiss of Life. This song is so beautiful. It it that it's it captures her exquisite singing voice perfectly. And unlike other songs where she's singing about heartbreak, because we've talked several times in three parts now about her heart getting broken on several occasions. This is unadulterated love. Of whoever she's singing about in this song. I knew you were the one for me. Oh. The color of love. Logan, your thoughts about this fucking masterpiece. And where were you rated among Sade's greatest songs? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in the top five for sure. And it's, um, yeah, this song is... Nothing bad you can say about this, man. It's so <laughs> soothing and fun, danceable. At the same time, you could, like, fuck to it or sleep to it even. I mean, it's just, it's got that quality, man. It's it's ethereal, oh, yeah, like. Doing, doing the bridge in the middle of the song where you, you could dance to that. You're right. Because Stuart is killing the saxophone on this song. Yeah. Oh, and whenever I hear Kiss of Life, whenever I hear anything by Sade on this level, I always think Billie Holiday. And I always think that Sade was a throwback. When she came out in the 1980s, and we mentioned this before, she would have fit perfectly in the 1930s, 1940s as a lounge singer singing the blues because of her voice, the way she carries herself, the, 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 the orchestra, that the band that that is with her, she'd have been amazing. She'd have been, and being biracial, she could have gotten away with singing in clubs that that didn't allow black singers. They'd be like, oh, oh, that 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 woman shot. Oh, that beautiful woman. Yeah, yeah. Let her in. Let her sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just um, just amazing how she's a generational talent. And we're in 2022. I guarantee you if her album came out this year or next year, that will be the best shit on, on on the planet musically because she's a generational talent. And she's in her early 60s. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's how gifted she is as a singer, songwriter. And as long as she's got that band to match her vocal prowess, it's a wrap. Oh, I love this song. For a long time, this was my favorite Sade song because it was the the, the first song my lady and I made love to. It was uh, her favorite, my favorite, until, and we talked about this song on the last po- podcast, Clean Heart, because Clean Heart just talks just so uh, incredibly about a young black child over uh, in impoverished situations situation going out doing a robbery and then the cops get them and then 
it leads you to the conclusion of what happened to him. But what about that song is you hear the, the hurt in her voice as she sings about this young man and the saxophone solo by Stuart at the end of the song and then she's going finger on the trigger. That's Clean Heart, my favorite song. Kiss of Life Now is my second favorite Sade song of all time. My third favorite we will talk about later on in the pop podcast, Bulletproof Soul. But yeah, Logan, easily top five. And if I ever get a chance, because I've never seen her, if she tours one more time, I don't care what the price is. I'm a frugal motherfucker. You and I are Tauruses, so we tend to be frugal. I won't be frugal with her. I will be getting no Sade tickets if and when she ever tours again. Because it, it, it's, it's worth it just to hear those, just to hear Kiss of Life. Kiss of Life. Do, 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 do. Oh, man. You want to add anything to this perfect five mic song? There's nothing you can say about it. Like, it just, it's it's got that ethereal quality on, like, on steroids of her, of her, everything she does. But it, it stepped up a notch because it's just so melodic. So, well, so we will continue the love portion of this podcast as we talk about another impeccable Sade ballad, Cherish the Day.
Cherish the day just like Kiss a Life, the song about unconditional love. And it's Sade floating on the fucking song. Cherish the day. Won't get me run. I mean, she. This is a woman who sounds like she's in love. Now, I know, Logan, at this point in time, she was going through difficulty in a marriage uh, to Carlos. They would break up soon and finally divorce in 1995. And then she'd start dating the only father of a child she ever had, the father of her daughter, who's now a a trans man. But Sade, whatever she's going through at this point in time, I don't know if she met that gentleman from Jamaica yet, but this song is just a woman expressing her unconditional love for her man. Just beautifully done. I mean, this song, just like Kiss of Life, you could do everything to the song. Make love to it. I don't know if you could. Yeah, you could You could slow dance to it, sleep to it, uh, fantasize to it. You name it. You could do it to this song. Cherish the day. One of my top five Sade songs of all time. Your thoughts on this song and where would you rank this song among? Another top five song. I think the um, the message is so important, and it is basically mm-hmm. that every single day that you're with your the person you love, you should cherish it instead of just thinking it's another day. And that's the important thing because, you know, we're not here forever. You know, we're here for that's a limited a amount of time. You just made a great point. If you don't cherish the day that you are with the woman or the man that you love, sounds like you're taking that man or woman for granted. And you're right. While while life is short, God forbid something happens to that man or woman, your significant other, and the last the last memory you have of that person was an argument you all had over something stupid. Right. Or, or, right? or just not even that, just like being indifferent. Just not even giving a shit. Even Which, worse. Because you no. took because you took her or you took him or her for granted. Yeah. And it's like ah it's like ah well uh you know what's the best thing about being in love and I think you and I share the same trait is that with your wife, with my lady, that we are afraid whenever we are I think this is a Taurus trait also, you and I are Tauruses. When we upset them we're like, God damn, is that go- is this going to be the one where she leaves me? Oh, she, 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 oh, she's not going to speak to me. And, and then when they give you the silent treatment, you're like, what the fuck? No. And then when you lose that, you lose in, in the relationship. When you lose that threat of losing the woman you love or vice versa, woman with a man, then you're on your way to losing them, period. What do you think? Absolutely. That's and and it's just that you're on your way to I mean, it's just you're 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 not living life, okay? Unless you're appreciative of what you have instead of right. thinking about what you don't have, you're basically missing out on life. That's like the message of this song. Yeah, yes, yes. And ladies and gentlemen, we've all been through it cuz I do it with my um with my son's mother. 
which this song came around at that at that time. This this song came out uh, right after he was born, and whenever she would threaten, no, oh, well, I'm gonna kick you out. I'm like, oh, okay, just as long as I have my son, I'm I'm, I'm out. There was no, oh, baby, please don't leave. I didn't know back then what I know now. If I knew what I knew back then, today, what if I knew today what I, if I know back then what I know today, first of all, I would have never had a baby with her. I hate to say that, and I had a precious son and the whole nine, but I would have gone through things differently because with her, like I said over and over again, it was physical lust. She was a pretty girl with a fat ass and a great body. And I saw all the other dudes back in 89 when I first met her wanting to go out with her. Matter of fact, she was dating a drug dealer, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to take her from him. Because A, I don't like that motherfucker because he sells crack. And B, she fine as all fucking outdoors. Right? There was ne- But there was never any real love. It was like a chase. I got her. And then from that moment on, the chase was over, and whenever we broke up, and we broke up several times before she got pregnant, it was like, all right, have a nice life. And we get back together. It wasn't like, God damn, I got to do what I got to do to get her back. Yeah. When you're in a situation that, you should never go back. You should never go back. It's, it got to the point where I got back with her because it was convenient, because I, oh, man, that's ready-made pussy there. And I hate to use that term, but that's the truth. I'm being honest here. Oh, that's ready. That's that. That's pussy that's waiting for me that I can get without having to worry about. When it's when it's when it's that easy, fellas. You're not. You don't love the woman. It's a means to an end. You you physically, you're being satisfied, but emotionally, you're not being satisfied. And we weren't. We weren't satisfying each other emotionally. If she felt that I was satisfying her emotionally, that she had low standards, because. I was paying her less and less attention. And then finally, when she started with the drugs, and I broke up with her right away, took my son, if I was really invested in her, I would have been there to help her get the help she needed in the whole nine. Nah, I left it. I took my son and said, look, I I ain't fucking with you. When you're in love with somebody, you're there through thick and thin. Like when my, my, my father had his problems. My mother never left him. She helped him through all his trials and tribulations. I didn't return that favor. God forbid something happens with my lady now, and I'm going to help her with whatever, like I've always done. Different, difference, ladies and gentlemen, lust and love. And I had to learn it the hard way, but throughout life, when you learn the difference, then you have a better relationship. And in, and in Cherish Today, this is all about love. She loves this man. And she's loving every minute. She cherishes every day she's with that man. Fucking powerful song. But ladies and gentlemen, this will be the end of the love ballads, I believe, because I'm looking at the playlist right now. The next song is one of the most powerful and sad songs Sade has ever written and sung. It's called Pearls. And once again, Logan, she is talking about another country's problem, problems that affects the people. And she talks about a woman, never mind hell, going through hell times 100. 
We'll talk about pearls after we play the song.
This is a heart-wrenching song. This song, if you know what she's singing about, it's hard not to cry. The tears were flowing the first time I heard this song because this was doing the Somalia atrocity. The Somalia atrocity occurred after their dictator who had raped the country of its fortunes, of its minerals, fled the country in 1991. I believe his name was Mohammed Bade. He left in 1991, and he left behind a poverty-stricken country that that was left to fend on their own. In this song, Sade sings about a young Somalian mother who picks up rice off the ground that fell off of a truck to help feed her child or her children. The song is so damn, so damn sad and, man, very heavy. And the way Sade sings it is like she's fighting back tears. When she goes, she cries to the heaven above. There is a stone in my heart. This is a key word right here. She lives a life she didn't choose, and it hurts like brand new shoes. She didn't choose this life of poverty, this life of where she didn't know when the next meal for her and her family was going to come from. Sade never having gone through poverty makes an analogy of when she buys an expensive pair of shoes. It hurts like it hurts like brand new shoes. We, we, you know, when in the, and when you were younger, Logan, and you bought yourself a pair of sneakers and you had to break them in, so it would hurt at, at first. This is the only analogy she could come up with, because what other pain that hurts that bad could she talk about that she's experienced? I mean, she's experienced heartbreak, but heartbreak is nothing compared to living in a country where. People are dying of hunger, and she's doing whatever she can, this this young Somalian mother, to feed her family. Oh, the lyrics are the lyrics are so goddamn deep in this motherfucking song. There is a woman in Somalia. The sun gives her no mercy. Somalia. The sun. She, 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 the sun is beaming. It's hot. The same sky we lay under. Burns her to the bone. Long as afternoon shadows, it's going to take her to get home. Each grain carefully wrapped. Pearls for her little girl. She's comparing the grain that she's picking up off the floor that she's carefully wrapping. The Somalian mother. Sade's comparing those grains to pearls because they might as well be pearls because that's how much the value is put on those grains of rice that she's picking up. It might as well be pearls they're eating because that's the value of that in order to survive. And after she sings that part, Logan, Sade goes, hallelujah, the way she sings it. Now, hallelujah, hallelujah is supposed to be a cry of of, of ecstasy, a cry of joy, right? Not in this song. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. She's fighting back the tears. 
hoping that one day things will be better for the people of Somalia and especially for the Somalian mother. What a deep fucking song. In her entire career, this is one of the two deepest songs she ever wrote saying. This is on the same level as Clean Heart. It's heartbreaking. It's hard not to cry when you hear this song. Sade, one of the few artists throughout the history of music that can use her fame and popularity to write music and sing about the the atrocities throughout the world. Logan, your thoughts on this song full of pain, the song that's so damn powerful. Yeah, I mean, it goes over your head when you're listening to it, how how, how much anguish is in this song uh, because it's such a beautiful song, but it's there, I mean, in the lyrics. Um, I would like to be that brave. She cries to the heavens above. Mm. There's a stone in my heart. I mean, just the, the, the lines here are just raw, man. So... You can tell she she identifies with that pain, but she knows that it's beyond her too. Because she even says, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would like to be that brave, but probably would not be. And another reason why she could identify with that young woman is because that woman is of African heritage, just like Shade. Shade was born in Nigeria. This woman is from Somalia, so she brings up a, a different perspective than most singers. You, even if you, even if you're black in America, there's a different perspective than being a black woman that was born in Nigeria and knows the atrocities that that country has gone through, that Somalia and Ethiopia, South Africa, the Sudan, all those countries in Africa that have been raped by Western civilization of their minerals, of their riches, going all the way back to the slave trade in the 1400s, right? You you see, she sees it from a different perspective. She could relate that woman is African just like she is, and that could have been her. Thank God for herself, and she sings in the song, I could never be that brave. She never had to experience or go through such an atrocity. But being that she's an African woman, and this woman's an African woman having to to damn near die to feed her family. Her heart is crying out. And I think that's why she goes, hallelujah. That's her way of, cry, of crying out for this woman. This is a damn powerful song, man. And when you first hear this song, you got to sit and listen to it four or five times before getting the meaning of this song. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't, know it. I didn't know it. I didn't know it until now. Yeah. So, because... Uh, you know, I thought it was about pearls, you know, but it was about rice, you know. Yeah, yeah, because they value rice like we value pearls. Amazing. Like, yeah. like a like a millionaire, like like a multi-millionaire like Sade would value pearls. And kudos to Sade. Not only did she write songs about despair and poverty, she put her money where her mouth is. No one has donated more money across the world than Michael Jackson did in his lifetime because Michael Jackson donated money to Africa all the time. He started the We Are the World movement. Sade, on her own behalf, has donated hundreds of thousands of dollars 
to countries throughout Africa because that's part of her heritage, right? It just has it just some artists you know this slogan. They'll sing a good game, but push come to shove, they're holding on to every dollar. Not Shaka. She has donated to Ethiopia, Somalia. The first time the world really saw her was during the We Are the World concert when she performed in London. So she's always been very, very generous with her money to the most needy. She gives back because without without giving back, what's the sense of having she can't die with all the money. Right? That's right. So man, this 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 fucking song, man, just an amazing song and it and it when I first heard this song, I was like, what the hell? This is just amazing. A fucking amazing song by one of the most amazing human beings that's ever lived. I've always said this, Logan. I don't think I've said it on a podcast, but I, I said this to my lady. I said this to a lot of people. And so I'm going to say it on the podcast. If I'm repeating this, you, the listeners can let me know. But in my opinion, God's greatest creation was Sade. Was Helen Sade? <laughs> I do. Helen Sade, I do, is God's greatest creation. Hopefully, we continue to keep her around, and hopefully, she continues to make great music. And I could just imagine Logan, when, if, and when this next album comes out, what she's singing about because she hasn't released anything in twelve years, and a lot in the world has gone down in the last twelve years. You know she'll probably do a song about her 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 son that used to be a woman now is a man. She'll probably do some type of song about um uh what you call it uh transgender bias. You know there's got to be a pandemic a worldwide pandemic song that's going to be on that album, and plus the usual love, the usual love song. So this. When, if and when this next album comes out, it could be the deepest album she ever did. Because there's a lot of shit that's gone down the last 12 years since her last album. All right, now that uh, we got we got some deep music out the way, there's another deep song that we'll talk about dealing with the heart. But it's I, I love this song because it it's the Sade as the narrator. Figuring out what was going on and bettering herself. We'll talk more about that. Plus, I got a personal story to go with this song. We'll talk about it after Logan plays Bulletproof Soul.
Sade songs of all time. 
this song is the exact opposite of Cherish the Day and Kiss of Life. Remember how in Cherish the Day, she's singing, and we spoke about it, about cherishing that man or woman you're with every single day you're with them. Because life is short, and that's the love of your life. Bulletproof Soul, Bulletproof Soul is the exact opposite. This song, she's dealing with a man who acts like nothing bothers him and that he's could care less whether she's there or not, and it's breaking her heart. And she's saying in Bulletproof Soul that you have to have a bulletproof soul in order to, to survive such a relationship. She starts the song off with, I was so in love with you. You rarely see a love that true. Wasn't that enough for you? Wasn't that enough for you? I would climb a mountain. I wouldn't want to see you fall. Rock climb for you and give you a reason for it all. But you see, remember we talked about Logan taking uh, taking the woman you're with for granted? She talks about it on the next uh, verse. You kept on thinking you were the only one. Too busy thinking love is a gun. His love for her, he's using as a weapon. It's a gun. That's why she needs a bulletproof soul. And she sings this song with so much passion. Because, and I'm just pontificating here. This is the ending of her real life marriage to Carlos. He is take has taken her for granted. He's not cherishing her like he used to. The kiss of life is no longer there. He's acting like his love for her is a weapon that he's using against her. Hit me like a slow bullet. Hit me like a slow bullet. But what I love, before I get to the end of, of the song, the way she's singing the lyrics is not that complicated. Oh, the voice, the instrument of that voice. Stuart Matthewman plays his saxophone solo through the bridge. Oh, my God, what an incredible saxophone player uh, Stuart is. Going perfectly with the sad melancholy of this song and her voice killing the message. It's not, it's not that complicated. <laughs> and then, but, as the song ends... The woman, her, who's getting a heart broken, is, how do you say it? Uh, she's hulking up. She goes, they got it, but you got all the trouble you need. I came in like a lamb, but I intend to leave a lion. She was meek. Total, the dude's in total control. Is killing her with the love, with the love being like a gun, being a weapon. She was lamb-like at the beginning. She was meek, but in the end, when she finally decides to leave this idiot, she's leaving like a lion. Unfucking real. Talk about this song, and then I'm gonna talk about a a, a, a personal story involving this song of mine. Yeah, I mean, she starts off saying that you know about how she's been taken for granted, but then. She ends by tell, like basically telling her lover who she's leaving, like you're gonna 
you you better have a bulletproof soul because you're going to get this pain from someone else. It goes around, comes around, basically, is what she says from the song. I, I came in like a lamb, but I'm going to leave a lion. That a lot of people don't do, she's expressing to do in this song. You learn from your mistakes, you learn from your bad experiences, and you try not to repeat them. That's, in my opinion, a warning to the audience listening to this song, right? Because it's not that complicated. Oh, man, she floats on this fucking song. Quick personal story about this song. It was Christmas party I had at my job. December of 1997. I believe the date was either December 12th or December 19th, 1997. I remember it because there was a there was a, a, a HBO doubleheader on television that night, and I wanted to get home to see it, but I didn't get home to see it because of events that happened at the Christmas party. I had broken up with my ex-girlfriend, Salima, a little year earlier. She she was a co-worker of mine. So, she, of course, she's going to be at the party. I used to play the music at the party. My ex-girlfriend, Antoinette, who I had met in college, at John Jay College, and I I spoke about her on both the Jodeci and I did a, Jodeci, a recent Jodeci podcast. So, yeah, I, I spoke about her. So those who listen to the Jodeci podcast, They'll know who I'm talking about when it comes to Antoinette. So I invited Antoinette to come with me to the Christmas party because Antoinette, even though her and I were no longer together, was going through some issues with her parents, and she had just gotten her heart broken by the dude she was seeing that she saw after we broke up. So I invited her to the Christmas party because she was going through issues, and I figured it'd be a nice night for her to listen to music, dance, and have a ball. So... Antoinette's sitting next to me. I'm playing the music. Salima comes by and says, oh, Robert, your your date is so pretty. Hi, my name's Salima. Hi, Antoinette. And then when Salima leaves, Antoinette goes, oh, so that's your ex, right? That's the one that you were dating after we broke up, huh? I said, yeah. Antoinette starts tongue in my neck and then starts wanting to kiss me. And look, I was 29 years old at the time, I was horny as a motherfucker. I obliged because I hadn't had sex in a few months up until that point. So, yeah, we were going at it hot and heavy. Salima turned around, and I could hear her stomping out the uh, – the, we we had the party inside the uh, the boardroom. I could hear her stomping out the, the, the boardroom. And then I was like, whoa. I was like, Antoinette, I know you did that because uh, uh, you wanted to get Salima jealous because you were jealous of Salima. She was like, shut up, Robert. Play another song and let's dance. All right. So I played Bulletproof Soul. And so we started slow jam, slow dancing to the song. So as we dancing, she is sucking the shit out of my neck. She left a fucking hickey and a half on my fucking neck. She was sucking it like she was a fucking vampire. And... Everybody is standing around, and and I hear people saying, "God damn, I didn't know, I didn't know Rob had a new girlfriend." <laughs> she sucking, she sucking my neck hard. And then after the song is over, she's like, "Let's go to your office." I said, "All right." We went upstairs to my office, 
and she rode me like I was a fucking, like I was fucking Seattle Slew or Firm, one of them fucking horses. She rode the shit out of me. Oh, man. And she was fucking moaning in ecstasy. So. I don't know how I didn't get a day because motherfuckers walked past my office and they could hear her moaning. <laughs> and we had, we had all the, uh, we had all the bosses. It was a, it was a Christmas party. It was an office party, so everybody was there. So I don't know if they didn't come up <laughs> on the floor or whatever, but she was moaning. And when we come back downstairs after we finish, Salima is crying. And Antoinette was like, I don't know what you're crying for. I'm through with him. You want some of him? You can have him. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I'm glad I'm glad she said that and she didn't try and think that we, we would get back together because as I discussed on the Jodeci podcast, her and I were always clashing heads. That was one of them relationships that we were either fighting or fucking. And she was a very passionate young lady, but she had some issues that it would have never worked out between us. And that would have been, yeah, that was the last time her and I ever did anything together. But every time I hear this song, it takes me back to that day because we slow danced to that song and then we, uh, it'd be the only time in my lifetime I had sex at work. <laughs> But technically, it wasn't work. It was an after-hours party. I wasn't getting paid. (laughs) That's right. You weren't on the clock. I wasn't on the clock. Oh, man. But the next, uh, that was a Friday. The following Monday, when I go to the cafeteria to warm up my food in the microwave, in the cafeteria were all the gossipers, all the females that were watching soap operas, all my children and whatever was on during the day. And they saw me, and they were all whispering to each other. And I'm like, y'all want to ask me what happened? <laughs> we weren't talking yeah. about you, was it? Yeah, yeah, you weren't talking about me. All right, whatever. <laughs> I took my food back to my office. <laughs> hey, you you oh. deserved it, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I wasn't with either girl, so what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, poor, yeah. Poor, Poor Salima. Matter of fact, you guys that know my social on um, Twitter, I recently posted a picture of me and Salima from 1996. She went through some difficulties. Uh, she also became addicted to uh, cocaine later on in her life. She went through some mental issues. And her grandmother was murdered when she was 93. Her grandmother was 93. Her grandmother was murdered and the rest oh, of Salima's family, the rest of Salima's family thought she was involved because her grandmother had left the house and everything to her, and I think it was the pain of losing her grandmother and having her family turn against her. Two other people that knew that did that knew nothing about Salima were found to have been the murderers and were convicted. They were both given lifetime conviction. These women had nothing to do with Salima, but yet the family. Because they were jealous because Salima got the house and Salima got uh, the woman's life insurance that also. Salima hired those women. Salima had her issues, but violence wasn't in it. And she loved her grandmother. She loved her grandmother to death. And 
that really affected her. Salima had very low self-esteem. Even though Salima is a beautiful, was a beautiful woman. She, I recently saw recent pictures of her because, um, man, she she looks bad. She looks bad. She looks much older than she's younger than me by a year. She, I'm 54. She, oh, her, her birthday is right around the corner. Goddamn, we're recording this on August. 11th, her birthday is August 18th. August 17th, August 18th, she'll be 53. So a lot of you, when you hear this, this will be this will be coming out right before her birthday. So, wow, she doesn't look too hot. Um, light, she's let herself go, and she's had her mental issues and addiction problems. And it's, it's, it's sad to hear, but um, had nothing to do with me, ladies and gentlemen, right? That was her family. Her family fucked her with that. I just hope that uh she took she used her grandmother's money in the house to good use. I don't know anything about that situation, but I know that her grandma left everything to her because when her grandmother was murdered, I was the first person Salima called because Salima was no longer working with me at the time. She had left to go to grad school and work in another agency that would help her with the graduate school. She called me crying, telling me that Nellie, her grandmother's name had died. And now I adored Nellie. Every time I used to come over to that house when I was dating Salima, Nellie, Nellie would talk, tell me about great singers in the past, like Marion Anderson, like uh, uh, Billie Holiday. And we would have long discussions. She was a huge fan of Muhammad Ali. She loved Muhammad Ali. She told me she met Muhammad Ali when she was much younger. And we would watch old Muhammad Ali fights. We would bond through that because she loved Muhammad Ali. She was a beautiful soul. I mean, she wasn't perfect. Nellie liked to drink, but shit. When when um when I first when I first met Nellie, Nellie used to like to drink, but shit. When I met uh, Salima's grandmother, Salima's grandmother died in two thousand and the age of 93 so when i met her in 1995 she would have been 85 shit if you're 85 years old you should be able to drink you live long right have your drink and she lived to be 93 not because she didn't die of natural causes she was murdered the the two women that that murdered her logan they tied her up and they, they 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 uh gagged her mouth and they tortured her it was just for money they, they, according to the trial uh, transcripts, they used to come by from time to time, and she would feed them. She would, she would give them a meal, and she was a, 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 a elderly lady that rarely had companionship, rarely had uh, people over. Because at that point in time, Salima wasn't coming over like she used to. Salima used to come, used to live there. Salima had stopped living there. Salima had moved in with a boy, with a, with her boyfriend at the time. So, I guess they were scoping the place. This woman had money. This old lady had money. They probably figured this old lady had. You know what they they wound up um, getting away with when they got arrested? What they what they got out the house? Fifteen dollars in her and some pearls that was costume jewelry. Damn, man, all that, and they tortured her for that. For nothing, for nothing, for nothing. They're spending the rest of their life in prison. For that. Um, 
And and I'm sure her granddaughter probably felt very guilty about that, like that she left and then that happened. You know, I never talked to Salim about that, but um, think thinking about it, you might be right. You might be right. You might be right. I went to the memorial and Salima was a mess, so I didn't get a chance to talk to her because she was crying throughout the entire memorial. And I saw the family looking at her like she was a devil. I was like, what the fuck is this? Crazy, man. It's, it's unreal. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hate to end the show on a, on a, on a low note, but this we'll be playing the last song, Mermaid. But before we play the Mermaid, just a little... To, to get away from the sad story that I just mentioned. The next podcast that Logan and I will be doing together in two weeks, we will be looking at Phil Collins, musical tribute to Phil Collins. This is going to be a lot of fun in this because Phil Collins made not only great music, Logan, and you can attest to this, he made music to have fun to. He made, I mean, you can't help but love Phil Collins' music when you listen to it. That will yeah, be the next right. show we do it too. Oh, man. I mean, so many hits. And I'm going to tell you all, right, I'm going to spoil what we're going to start off the, the, the podcast with because it's got, if you're doing a Phil Collins show, you got to start off with do, 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 In the Air Tonight will be the first song played on that song. Got to be. Got to start it off with any. I can feel it coming in here. The Miami Vice, the song that made Miami Vice the hit show in the very first episode, the pilot episode, when they played that song and Phil Collins on the drum. So Phil Collins will be playing many of his hits. He had a bunch of hits. One of the biggest stars of the last 40 years will be talking Phil Collins next time. Logan, any final words before we go into Mermaid? No, man. This is a singing goddess. So let her, you put her on and she just fills you up with her light. So that's all I can say, man. And for those who haven't made love to a Sade song, uh, take our advice and make love to a Sade song. Until next time, as we about to play Mermaid, from my man Logan, our 11th anniversary podcasting together. Everybody out there, be blessed and be a blessing. Yes, cherish the day. Talk to you later. <laughs>